I was really excited to talk to Christy Williams. Christy is super cool and she has a super cool husband and a super cool kid. I'm friends with her on Facebook and I feel like I know her, but I really don't. At least I haven't talked to her much. Christy is married to Mark, who was friends with my wife, Jen, before I even met her. I know Mark pretty well now, but I think I'd only spoken to Christy maybe at her wedding to Mark many years ago. Until now, that is. Christy, or should I say Dr. Williams, is a real-life family demographer, medical sociologist, and college professor. She's responsible for papers and studies with titles like Promoting Marriage Among Single Mothers, An Ineffective Weapon in the War on Poverty, and You Make Me Sick, Marital Quality and Health Over the Life Course. I love this kind of stuff, and I'm so impressed by the academics who do it. She's also a senior scholar at the Council on Contemporary Families and editor of Journal of Marriage and Family, and it was a pleasure to talk to her. I'm Dave Austin, and who are these people? Say something. Uh, do you have the... Can you hear me? Yeah, and I'm rolling. Did you, have, did you make sure that... Oh, okay. Uh, oh, shit. Oh, fuck. A lot exactly. of sci-fi ideas are becoming real now. Yeah, it's like Barbarella's tongue box. Yellow. Yeah. Yellow. It is therapeutic. The last generation to be raised without the internet. Yeah. The first generation to jump into the internet. What, what does it mean? Like, did it really even happen? Hello. Oh, can you hear me? Hi. Oh, great. I can hear you now. Okay, perfect. Okay, yeah. Who knows what's going on with my computer? I've, you know, I've used Skype like three or four times in my life. <laughs> no worries. This is the fun part. Every time, it's like uh, it's a new adventure. Every time, trying to get it to work. Yeah, I didn't have a chance to look at your your podcast at all, so I have no idea what this is about. But I'm happy to chat with you. Okay, great. The modus operandi is just I want to talk to my friends and record them, and oh. Uh, I am very much interested in the social media aspect of it because it kind of started like this this weird sense that I have all these friends that I follow and I communicate with virtually, but I really don't know them or do I really uh-huh. know them? It's kind of that question. And, uh, and you're one of them that is really a Facebook friend. Um, I think, I don't know if we've even seen each other since your wedding. I think that might have been right. the last time. <laughs> but we follow exactly each other. Right. And, uh, you know, I feel like I have a good idea of kind of what you're up to, but I don't really know. So I, I just kind of like to reach out and put it together in this little podcast of mine. That is a very cool idea. I like that a lot. I mean, I feel the same way about social media. I, I always tell people that, um, you know, I have these these professional contacts on social media, especially on Facebook, that... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that I, I feel like, you know, if I if I had not known them on Facebook, I would see them at a conference and I would shake their hand. But now it's like I know about their kids and their wife. I feel like I should, like, give them a hug, you know? Exactly. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's awkward interaction. <laughs> it, and it's, it, but it's very weird in, in that it just kind of plays with uh, your sense of time and place as well. Because, you know, I have friends from all over the world and in different time zones. And uh, it's just kind of a weird, trippy place that we're in right now. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> so anyhow, so hi, Christy. Hi. I know you because of your husband, Mark, right? That's his name? That's no, right. I'm just joking. That's his <laughs> name. <laughs> Last I checked. Yeah. 
I'm also really interested in the fact that you are a real sociologist. So, <laughs> you know, that's another thing. I see you posting things and I've read things that you have written. And I'm really just kind of blown away that you're in that world and uh, you're actually doing the work, right? You're actually doing the research and the statistics and all the hard work, the, all the heavy lifting of real sociology. Is that right? I, yeah, when I have the time, yes. <laughs> no, I, yes, I, um, you know, I've been a sociologist. I got my PhD in 2000, um, did a postdoc at University of Chicago for two years and mm. been here at Ohio State since then. Um, you know, most recently, in terms of being in that world, I've taken over editing a journal. So now I'm kind of doing the, uh, in addition to producing the research, doing the, um, you know, the sort of gatekeeping and, mm-hmm. and, and publishing of the research. So well, that's, that's also a, new, a very important job. It, uh, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's a big job and, you know, it's, um, I mean, it's kind of a new phase in my career. Um, and it's just, it's overwhelming. It's, we, we have 700 submissions a year and, um, I'm responsible for all of them. Wow. So. <laughs> wow. Do you have a staff or is it just you? I do. I have a, I have two grad students who, oh, um, each work, each work 20 hours a week. So they mm-hmm. do a lot of the, the back end stuff and, mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, screening and formatting and, mm-hmm. but ultimately, I, you know, I have to set eyes on all of them. So, yeah. Wow. 700 a year. Is that what you said? <laughs> wow. That, that's, yeah. that's a lot. And are these, how, how long are these submissions? Like 40 pages each or something or what? We have a 35 page limit. That's okay. right. That's mm-hmm. a lot of pages. It's a lot of pages. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I usually, the, I expect the conversation will drift wherever it will go, but before it drifts too far, I want to get into what your specialty is because I, I'm guessing that it seems like you specialize in the family and uh, marriage and things like that. Huh? Is that your specialty? That's right. I mean, my my research is right at the intersection of family sociology or family demography and population health. So um, so I look at the links between family structure, um, typically among adults, family processes, marriage, divorce, um, also parenthood um, mm-hmm. when people have children and the context in which they do so and how that shapes um, mental and physical health. Okay. Now, when you say population health, uh, you're looking at which populations and yeah. and how can you tell if they're healthy or not? That's a good question. I mean, I say population health because, um, we, you know, I'm typically looking at seeking to make generalizations to um, typically the U.S. Mm-hmm. is what I look at, you know, in terms of how we can say they're healthy. I mean, in general, the field looks at, at indicators such as you know, mortality, when people die. Um, I tend to look at um, more individual level measures of uh, self-assessed health. So we have these items that on surveys that people, how would you rate your health? Excellent, very good, good, fair or poor. Mm-hmm. And it seems like not a great measure, but it's actually, um, it's, it's highly predictive of individual mortality of when people die. And in some cases, even more predictive than physician assessment. So, okay. so people know sort of where they are, um, you know, and it's a, but it's a broad measure. And so it, it, you know, likely includes not only physical health, but also, you know, how people feel and mm-hmm. mental health and, and so forth. So that's the, that's the main thing. But I also look at indicators of I mean, disability and, 
um, um, other sorts of uh, chronic disease indicators and things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so how's America these days? Is it healthy or not? <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's all relative, right? Yeah. Compared to what? Um, okay, let's just say I, compared to 30 years ago, how is it? Well, it depends on who you are. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, so in general, I mean, you know, health sort of incrementally improves over time, mm-hmm. right? When we've been pretty much getting healthier since the dawn of modern medicine. Right. Uh, but, uh, and, and living longer and all of those things. But, but and there is a, you know, which you may have seen in the news recently, there is a, a new and somewhat disturbing trend that life expectancy um, for all groups, you know, has always continued to go up, except mm-hmm. for more recently, um, uh, white individuals with, uh, I believe it's... Uh, a high school degree or less. So basically the white working class are mm-hmm. actually experiencing declines in life expectancy, which is pretty shocking. Yeah. I have seen that, that uh, figure bandied about. Um, that is pretty shocking. I'm kind of on the other side of this. I work in the media and news and things like that. And I read news critically and I see the horrible state of science news reporting these days mm-hmm. where it's just any study can be the headline that they can pull out of it might be the most irrelevant headline to the study, but it's the most clickable or whatever. So um, I haven't, when I saw those studies about the like white working class suffering or their mortality decreasing for the first time in a century or whatever, I didn't bother to to like, to delve deeper. So I kind of took it with a grain of salt. So it's a real deal, huh? It's really happening. Yeah, I mean, and that's exactly, you know, clearly that's a smart way to deal with with science reporting. Um, um, you know, I mean, I've I've done quite a bit of, of interaction with the media and my own work. And, you know, I mean, I think it's like, any, and I'll get to your question in a minute. I'm mm-hmm. thinking about science reporting now. Um, I think it's like anything else. I mean, you know, there, there's qual- there are quality outlets and then there are, you know, there are less quality outlets and you kind of have to look where it's coming from. Um, That's true. And I mean, so, I didn't want to, yeah. I didn't want to paint everyone with the same brush. There are, right. th- some are much better than others, but there th- are some, I mean, and there's some really good science reporters out mm-hmm. there that I, 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 you know, have actually asked me questions about my research that have led to more research. So oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's nice to get an external perspective. It's like, Oh yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about that, but yes, I mean, it, it, it is real. Um, and in fact, I just got back from a conference in Texas um, that had a whole panel on on this topic. And um, I mean, it looks like it's it's largely, you know, it's largely um, it's partly the opioid crisis and okay. it's 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 suicide. Wow. It's, you know, they're calling deaths of despair, you know. Wow. So, well, yeah. Then so are it's they, is this regional to certain is, is this uh, or is it nationwide? Yeah. It's quite regional. Um, I mean, the statistics we have are nationwide, but it's it's definitely being driven by um, you know geographic variation. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot in 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 the places you might expect, given the the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, Appalachia. Um, there's also the. Um, um, I'm trying to think. I, I, I know this map less well, but I think in the like in Nevada, in the west there, not on the west coast, but um, in the sort of. Desert West there. And uh, yeah, so I mean, it's, you know, and it's a lot in the, you know, the areas that have been, um, you know, hardest hit by the manufacturing and all of those things. Have you heard of that book Dreamland? The True Tales of America's Opiate? Have you read it yet? 
I had, I read it, you know, I read it years, whenever it came out mm-hmm. um, and it was great. Um, more recently, um, there's a book called Glass House and it's not specifically about the opioid crisis, but mm-hmm. it's about the population. Um, and um, it's written by a friend of mine, Brian Alexander, um, about the small town in Ohio, um, Lancaster, where he grew up and he has sent, he's not lived there in a long time, but mm-hmm. it's a really great case study of how the, um, private equity investment comes in mm-hmm. and takes over a corporation and basically with a very short term view runs it into the ground so they can make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the effect that has on the small town that is, you know, is completely dependent mm-hmm. on that corporation. In this case, it was the anchor hawking glass plant. And so, and so, and this is one of these towns that now has, you know, a huge opioid uh, problem and, and, um, you know, just extreme poverty and mm-hmm. used to be really like the great all American town. Right. So, well, um, yeah, the, I haven't read dreamland either, but I, I heard an extended interview with the author. So I got, you know, kind of some of that background and it, it's amazing when you look at kind of like the behind the scenes machinations that led to this opioid crisis. I mean, it's not, it's not as simple as saying that, Oh, people want to get high. There's a lot more to it than that. Um, the prescription drug. Um, yeah, over over prescription, people making money off of that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. You know, one of the things, this conference they were talking about is some are some of the solutions and you know i mean there's their their public health groups are going in and and they're trying to you know get people on i believe it's called suboxone um this drug that you know keeps people from becoming addicted or helps them stay non-addicted but even so there are reports that there are you know i mean there are there are doctors moving in in droves um and and making a good buck off of this yeah that's crazy man yeah. So Glass House is about a town in Ohio. and It is, yeah. Are you from Ohio or you just live there I'm now? I'm not. Okay. I live, so no, yeah, I'm from Texas originally. Okay, um, but no, it's it's kind of an interesting um, story. I, I actually um, had this journalist, Brian Alexander, um, who, you know, writes on a lot of different topics, had, con- had contacted me years ago and mm-hmm. did a, a, a piece on um, one of my research studies for, I can't remember who he was writing for at the time, mm-hmm. um, NBC maybe. And um, so at the point that he contacted me, he said, yo, you're at Ohio State, by the way, I'm originally from Ohio and I'm writing this book and, um, you know, I'll let you know when it's done. And and um, anyway, so I ended up like meeting with him and we brought him out to give a talk on the book. And, and you know, it's just it's interesting because he's a journalist, mm-hmm. um, but it's very sociological. I mean, he's really got this very, you know interesting insight into the the sort of structural and economic forces mm-hmm. led to this extreme poverty and mm-hmm. you know ultimately drug abuse in this one particular place mm-hmm. wow what do you think of ohio so far as a as a texan how long have you been in ohio now <laughs> well i've been here uh let's see 15 years okay yeah what was years. your first impression of it when you oh i have the- i have a I have a perfect story for that. Okay. So uh, when I got, I tell people this story all the time. When I got here, um, you know, I was probably, how old was I then? You know, 
32 or something and, you know, not married, didn't have kids yet, although, you know, my husband came with me. And anyway, so I was teaching a uh, statistics class to our majors, and it's a course that they largely take their junior or senior year. So it was, you know, older students. So, you know, so I'm asking them, you're trying to get to know the town. So I had them fill out a little of some of their favorite things and you know in Columbus Ohio where I am and um, you know so sort of like what's your uh, what's your favorite restaurant what's your favorite local band you know and where's your favorite happy hour right and it's because who's gonna know right the college kids mm-hmm. overwhelmingly I think there are probably 60 students in my class overwhelmingly favorite happy hour Applebee's oh. <laughs> so, okay. you know I'm looking for the, like, the gritty college bar yeah. hangout <laughs> wow. Okay. And so, you know, so there is a kind of Midwestern sort of normalcy, middle of the road, that kind of stereotype that very mm-hmm. much rings true. Lots of, you know, chain restaurants. and. Well, I thought um, I just read some report that like millennials are killing Applebee's because, uh, the you know, millennials are, are, are drifting away from that. Is that not, not the case in Ohio? This was 15 years ago. So oh, yeah. no, and, and it has gotten better, but mm-hmm. um, at least in Columbus, this is really, I mean, you know, you used to live in Austin. Columbus in some ways reminds me a little bit of Austin 20 mm-hmm. years ago. You okay. know, it's still an easy, affordable place to live and we're, you know, we're getting more cool stuff. We've got more, you know, we finally discovered craft beer mm-hmm. <laughs> in the past couple of years. Um, so, you know, it's actually, it's a really nice place to live. Um, but there, you know, there's a, there's a kind of Midwestern sort of, I don't want to make any waves. I don't want to be too loud or mm. cause any trouble that um yeah that um my my loud southern texan finds it hard to relate <laughs> okay that's interesting i didn't know that they were quite so reserved or uh didn't want to rock the boat well i do see you also commenting some about the fact that you do teach and so you have every year you've got your new wave of students coming in and <laughs> and some of your reactions to them it's true. Well, how, part how are the of it is these that, days. Well, you know, it's it, you know, I mean, I have this friends through Ohio State University, which is, you know, it's the sort of flagship state school mm-hmm. and and so, you know, we get a certain kind of student. They, you know, increasingly we're getting students with higher and higher you know, it's becoming more competitive. Okay. So we're getting students with higher scores coming in and so forth. You know, you, you see you see me uh, kind of complain about the extreme cases, but mm-hmm. overall, I like I like the millennials. Okay, good. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I do too. Know, I mean, I, not that I know that many, but I think a lot of the, again, the media coverage of millennials is overblown and uh, a little bit distorted. You know, I think right. a, a lot of the millennials are just, they are just the same as we were, but the world has changed a lot since then. Well, <laughs> so of course they're going exactly. re- to react to things differently because the world is different, you know. Absolutely. I mean, I was thinking, I was just telling someone about this, this kind of stereotype of millennials that they, you know, they just, they don't want to like work hard. They just want to, you know, get the, get the job where they can just do as little work as possible and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, enjoy their sort of lifestyle and all of that. And, And I'm not saying that's true, but, but to the extent that that is a stereotype. I mean, look at the way that the world, the employment world has changed, right? I right. mean, you think about someone in my dad's age. I mean, my dad was a steel worker. He had a union mm-hmm. job. He worked mm-hmm. 30 years mm-hmm. at the same job, hard work, but he retired at 50, right? And, and um, you know, that's not going to happen for these kids. No, it's not going to happen <laughs> so for me. Why, well, right. <laughs> yeah. And so why would you, why would you, you know, work, you know, why would you dedicate your life to some 
company when they're not going to give anything to you. You right. know. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. <laughs> you better be looking out for yourself, right? Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, man, your your father retired when he was fifty. He did. Ah. He worked thirty. Started at twenty. My, I'm a first generation college student. My parents didn't go to college, and he worked at an aluminum. What did he do after fifty? Because I'm going to be fifty like in two years. <laughs> <laughs> he just hopped around the house. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, he's still doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's seventy two <laughs> or seventy five. Well, I mean, yeah, things were different then, uh, and that's great that he could afford to do it. I'm like, yeah. I've kind of given up on the idea of retirement altogether. Just because, right. uh, well, in one way, it by giving up on the idea, it, it prevents me from having to acknowledge that I didn't successfully plan for retirement. So I'm just like, oh, well, f- forget it. I'm just going to keep working. Exactly. Well, to the extent you can. Yeah, yeah. But I do think, you know, that I, I am lucky in that I basically enjoy the work that I do. And, you know, and I keep finding more and more things different angles to take on things. So it's not like I'm stuck in some horrible job that I hate. So uh, the idea of working longer, I mean, I do feel in a lot of ways I am just getting started in some things, you know, so I would hate to have to give it up in two years. Unless, of course, I had a big fat pension or something like that. (laughs) Then then you could just do what you want. Yeah. Yeah. With no strings attached. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I mean, I feel the same way about my, you know, I mean, I... You know, I'm from a working class background. My parents mm-hmm. never expected to like the job that they had. Right. Um, yeah. And, and you know, the fact that I, I get to do this, I have this career where I get to pursue my own interests and and have a lot of flexibility and, and sort of ownership over my work um, is, you know, it's still, I mean, I'm, I don't know how many years in, in am I, 17 years in, it's still, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm pretty lucky. What about marriage? What do the millennials think about marriage? You know, it's interesting. I don't know if I have a good sense of of their perspective on marriage. Um, it's like I should ask them. Um, I mean, I, I don't think people's perspectives have, have changed on marriage that much. I mean, mm-hmm. we know that, you know, almost everybody cohabits now before marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, cohabitation, I mean, maybe not almost everybody, but it's definitely the the majority of people live together before, before marrying. Mm-hmm. Americans. Um, yeah, well, and Europeans. Yeah. Um, I mean, and they often just could continue cohabiting yes. and not, mm-hmm. don't marry. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't think, it, like, looking at change from our, our generation to this generation, I don't know that people's views of marriage have changed. But when they're doing it, it's certainly changed. I mean, people are certainly waiting longer. And mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, it, marriage used to be kind of the default. It's sort of like the way you get into adulthood. And that's certainly not the case. It's like you become an adult first and then marriage is kind of a capstone, right? Mm, you okay. kind of do that after that, um, for better or worse. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, one of the things that I study in my research is is, is single motherhood, right? And, okay. um, and so, you know, I mean, 40, I think 41% of all births now occur to unmarried women. Really? Um, 41%? Yes, it's huge. That is 41%. That's a pretty sizable percentage. It's, yeah, I mean, it's huge. And it's very stratified by class and race. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that number is about 70% for, for black women. Um, if you look at people without a college degree, that number is very high. Mm-hmm. That number is very low if you look for people, if you look at people with a college degree. And mm-hmm. so it's very much a class-based phenomenon where, mm-hmm. I mean, if marriage is a capstone, right, 
mm-hmm. and you're waiting until, you know, you're economically kind of secure and have your career on its way before you get married. Well, that's not available to everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Not everybody gets to that point. Um, and, but people still want to have children. Right, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, um, and so there you go. Interesting. And uh, how's your kid doing? He seems to My be doing great, huh? He won't let me post anything on Facebook about him anymore. He's oh, 10. So, hey, smart um, kid. I know, I yeah. know. And so I, mean, I can hardly even take any pictures anymore. But no, he's great. He's, he's uh, you know, he seems to like school. He's playing guitar and he's really freaking good. Wow. Which is very exciting because um, he's never been like a big sports kid and mm-hmm. we're in a very kind of suburban sports oriented area. Right. Um, but he started taking guitar lessons in January and uh, and he's tearing it up. Awesome. <laughs> well, I noticed uh, when I messaged that I was having trouble getting the kids to bed and you're like, oh, I remember those days. So now he's <laughs> like he goes to bed on his own and like takes. Oh, my God. Yeah. So so Jack was a kid who. I think, well, so, I mean, really, until he was like nine, would get up between the eight, the hours of 4.30 a.m. and 6 a.m. And, I mean, literally, you to know. To like start his day or like because he had. Yes. Just, really? No, to start his day. He went like crazy early riser. I spent wow. a decade getting up between 4.30 and 6 a.m. Um, wow. And so, uh, you know, I just thought that was how he was. And then like this summer, I don't know. <laughs> I know exactly. Yeah. He's just you know, and we would like keep him up later, and mm-hmm. then he would just still get up early, and he'd be yeah. grumpy all day. And so we just finally, you know, like okay, that's what that's what. I mean, I think really what it was for him was that he would just he would wake up and he would just be like, oh my god, I gotta go, like go, you know, like I gotta right. start my day. Yeah, I can't you know, go back to sleep. Like, yeah. Excited about life. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, after the age of nine, it starts going down. <laughs> okay. So now he's, he's no, done with like, life, right? He's uh, old and jaded. <laughs> so yeah so this summer he started you know he started he'd like lay in bed for a while after he woke up and then started reading and so he this summer he would like get up and wake up and lay in bed and read for two hours wow which is you know i mean something not something we pushed he just mm-hmm. kind of came into mm-hmm. it naturally um and so yeah now he sleeps till he sets his alarm and he sleeps till seven during the during the week and wow. um and i'm more rested than i've been and a decade. Yeah, must be nice. <laughs> must be nice. Yeah. Well, your kids. How, how old is your oldest? She's nine. She's nine. Okay, so she'll so, get there soon. Yeah, but nine, then the six, and four. Is, yeah, we still have the other two lagging. So that's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it goes fast. That's what they say. But. And so you were just in Austin. You said for a conference. What was what was that about? Uh, this was a, um, it's a, uh, what is it called? The, uh, it's a population health conference. So, but, mm-hmm. so it's a, kind of a small conference, um, a bunch of sociologists, a bunch of public health people, and then also some medical people kind of indirectly sponsored by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, who does okay. a lot of health related um, mm-hmm. philanthropy. Um, so yeah, it was right on campus at UT. Um, you know, I got to go to, a, I got to see some old Austin friends from when I lived there before. Right. Um, you know, went to Hole in the Wall. and Oh, that's right. I saw the pictures. I'm glad to know Hole in the Wall is still there. It's still there. It's actually bigger. And it has like a little outdoor area. And okay. But it looks, looks you know, the front part, the main area looks exactly the same. I went to Trudy's and had some margaritas. Nice. 
nice. So it was, but you know, Austin, it's so weird going back. It's just a completely different place. Yeah, it is. I have friends who still live there and, you know, they'll occasionally say, you know, like, oh man, it's completely different now. It's a mixed bag, apparently, you know, <laughs> no one says it's, it's different for the, the better or for the worse, you know, it's like there's pros and cons to it, but yeah, yeah it seems like quite a different city. It's still, you know, it's still hot and I'm, I'm covered in mosquito bites now. So oh, okay. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, I just saw another friend of mine on Facebook was talking about going to the State Fair of Texas in Dallas. And I was like, oh, how's the weather? Because October in Texas was always my favorite month. And he's like, it's 90 degrees. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it was, I mean, it was 80 something degrees there when I was there, but it, I mean, mm -hmm. that's how it was in Columbus, but when I left okay. as well. Yeah. So it's just, you know, let's don't even get me started on my climate change induced <laughs> nihilism. Okay. <laughs> oh, really? That was my next question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Look> man. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, actually I did have a question about climate change for you because uh, since you're into statistics and everything like that. Um, uh -huh. You know, people are always trying to, well, the deniers are always trying to uh, make some lame argument that, uh, that, 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 that somehow the data doesn't support the, the argument that climate change is man-made. But right. uh, you, uh, you're a st statistician, right? So lay it out there. Lay it on me. How, how, how bad is it? I mean, honestly, I, I, you know, I, I don't know those. I haven't looked at those data. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I just, you know, I mean, I think it's, I think um, there are enough people who are experts in the field. And, you know, I mean, I know some geologists mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, we have this, we have this really great um, uh, earth sciences department here at OSU and mm -hmm. friends with one of the, one of the, you know, guys there. And I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's you know, it's scientific consensus and, um, yeah, I just think it doesn't I look know. good. It's clear, it's clear as day, and frankly, that's, you know, I don't even want to know anymore. <laughs> I know. It's really, yeah. that's another weird thing about the time we're living in now. I it's, know. Uh, the part of my brain that's, that's, you know, I suppress, like that I don't want to think about it. I know it's back there and it's thinking, well, that it's definitely real. It's happening and the sad thing is it's the people that are going to be hurt the most are the ones who have the least resources to adapt to yeah. it. You know, it's going right. to be, it's going to be millions and millions of poor people in countries in lesser developed countries that are going to bear the brunt of the, right. of the damage. At least initially. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, have, <laughs> I don't know that much about it, but I have this friend who's a geologist and, you know, I was like, so tell me, like, how bad is it? And, you know, he's like, well, you know, the earth is going to be fine. Right. But, oh, yeah. I mean, but, you know, the, the, the human species. The still be here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, long term, the, yeah, it's pretty much over for humans. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, God. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, we'll see how long well, we have, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say I don't think it's over for humans. I think it's over for a lot of humans. Yeah. Like, yeah. They'll be, they'll be survivors, you know. Yeah. The Elon Musk colony on Mars will survive. Exactly. I mean, the fact that <laughs> that our, the survival of the species may depend on Elon Musk is, yeah. is, is in and of itself <laughs> yeah. terrifying. But, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, well, and the, Can the Canadians will be fine. They'll be doing great. Because <laughs> they'll, they'll have, like, extended growing season. They're going to have a Northwest Passage uh, shipping lane. Uh, they're going to be doing fine. 
but you yeah. know, I've got some, I've got friends at the University of Toronto. I'm always okay, like, yeah. well, you know. <laughs> yeah, actually, I had the same conversation with a friend, and we ended uh, the the conversation ended with we should be buying property in uh, in Canada. I mean, that's really like that's the long term play here, right? Hmm. Buy yeah, some, well, some land in Alberta or something like that. Probably I love Canada. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, although the cities are pretty pretty expensive to live in, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, things are things will be okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, you're not right in the thick of the, you know, I mean, we've got all the Trump stuff too, you know. Exactly. It's, I was just waiting for that to come up. I knew it would come up sooner or later. I mean, all of that, you know, it's just piled on. Um, I mean, there really is, you know, there's like a palpable sense of despair. Yeah, I can feel it from over here, but yeah. I, but luckily I don't have to live in it. It's still at a distance, but uh, I mean, it's really just in the past year, you know. I think mm-hmm. it's just it, you know. I mean, I'm kind of a negative, sort of <laughs> pessimistic person, and mm-hmm. I kind of count on my friends to just kind of laugh at me and tell me that, like, you know, oh yeah, that's just how you are. But yeah, they're they're, they're all right there with me now. <laughs> now yeah, now they now they. <laughs> Now they all agree and say, you're right. <laughs> exactly. Like, no, that's my thing. Stop. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me, let me take one specific thing of the zeitgeist that I've heard of. Since you're a, a liberal college professor, yeah. are, are you getting harassment or like getting any pushback from these organizations that are trying to like target liberal college professors and do who knows what to them to try and I, pressure them? Right. Not that I know of, although I do have a, I do have an interesting story about that. I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know if I, if I shared this publicly, but, um, right after the election, um, so first of all, I teach, I teach a 500 student intro sociology class. Mm-hmm. Um, it's huge and they're all first semester freshmen and they're from across the university. It's a general education course. So it's not just students who are interested in sociology. Right. Um, they kind of have to take it or psychology. And so, um, so it's a, you know, it's a diverse group of students. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, we're in Ohio, we get rural Ohio people at Ohio state. And, you know, even though I think most of the, you know, a lot of the kids that we have are fairly liberal, um, it's a mix. And so sociology, it's a, I mean, at at a fundamental level, it's, it's, it's about inequality, right? I mean, we're, you know, we're interested in structural sources of inequality. And so Mm -hmm. just, I mean, the, the, our perspective aligns, sort of by default with a, a more sort of liberal view on particularly economic issues and, and, yep. and things like that. So um, anyway, reality so the election. based. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. Otherwise known as reality based. But OK, I'm editorializing. I'm sorry, Christy, you go right ahead. I teach my sociology, but I try to be, you know, I try to be mm-hmm. balanced and not yeah. alienate anybody because I kind of want to, I want to, no, I, I want to get the sociology into them. Right. And so, um, so the election happens, you know, um, and everybody's floored and I have class on, um, I guess I had class the following Tuesday. And, um, so I go in and, you know, it's like, what am I going to say about it? I just say basically, like, um, you know, we had an election, obviously, judging from your demographic, probably a lot of you, your candidate did not win. But, you know, there are some mm-hmm. of you who your candidate did win. And, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, I don't know, I said, 
I can't remember what I said, something like, oh, well, one of the things we talk about is like the power of, of, you know, being um, the sort of political machine and being like inside Washington and the big money and all of that and how that drives elections. We talk about this in class. And I said, you know, I don't know if there's any silver lining. I mean, maybe, you know, you could say that the the person who was not part of that machine actually won. And then I was like, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm grasping at straws here, but I was trying to, you know, I was trying to just say something. So anyway, so that happened. And so then like, I don't know, a few days later, I get an email out of the blue from some random Ohio person who in the, the subject line is titled, did you really? And the email basically says like, this is going viral. And there's like some social media post that an Ohio state professor, Christy Williams said in her introductory sociology class, well, basically that, that, um, that I asked all the Trump supporters made all the Trump supporters stand up in class and proceeded to tell them that they were racist and that they would never get married. Uh, wow. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the social media. And so, you know, I get this email out of the blue and, you know, I'm like, I don't even know what this means, right? Like, right. is am I on some like, you know, alt-right website and people right. are going to start after me? Um, I wasn't even sure if I should respond. Um, you know, so I mean, I emailed my chair and my mm-hmm. dean and I talked yeah. to legal and they were all over it. They're like, we can send a police officer to your class. And anyway, um, you know, and I did none of those things. Right. And so um, anyway, we ended, you know, Mark, my husband, ended up mm-hmm. searching around and basically was able to find it. it was like a Facebook post. And I assumed that that was the extent of it. Uh-huh. Um, and it you know, wasn't going viral. It was just yeah. like he was sharing it with their friends. Um, and so anyway, so I emailed the guy who had emailed me and mm-hmm. and I was like, listen, thanks for letting me know this. But this is categorically untrue. And, you know, I've spoken to university legal and you may want to let your friend on Facebook know that, you know, I um, these kind of claims could be considered libel. And I and the university are going to do whatever it takes to protect my reputation. And um, and he was like, oh, thank you so much. I figured maybe it wasn't true and I just wanted to let you know and then shortly thereafter the post was taken down interesting so but I did get a little more information apparently some student some female student in my class told her mother this and then her mother had told this friend and then posted it I mean wow (laughs) wow and so I told my whole class I was like I know one of you guys did (laughs) oh my god don't worry I know everything's crazy I'm not gonna hold It's uh, the part about making them stand up and tell them that they're racist, you know, that that uh, plays into the fear that conservatives have of liberals. That's like the mm-hmm. that is the the stereotype menacing evil, uh, you know, um, right. Stalinesque uh, liberal. But then the, the part adding on that they're never going to get married, that just kind of like that's the the icing on the cake. But it's also the part that makes it absolutely ridiculous, like. Why well, you but throw it, that in, you know. Well, I think maybe because I study marriage, so they yeah. were trying to they make were, it yeah, sound. The, exactly. I mean, you know, good try, that just right? shows they're like uh, they're really they're un they're unprofessional trolling, I guess. I know, I know, and so and, you know, and I, I mean, of all my very liberal, you know, professor friends, I feel like mm. I was the one who had the probably the most balanced. Right. <laughs> Yeah. reaction. I, I wasn't mm-hmm. like, you know, saying it was the end of the world or anything right. like that. And so, yeah, what are you going to do? Oh, well, that's a good story, though. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. 
I did not bring the police officer to my class, so and it was That's all okay. Good. Yep. Yeah. So what else is crazy? Let's see. Um, Trump. Well, okay. Climate <laughs> change. We covered that. Okay. Guns. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Go. Oh, you want to talk about guns? No. You, I don't uh, no, that's not. That's not. It's just all uh, you know. Yeah. All what is there left to say? It's all, it's, it's all there. If you want to know, right? <laughs> um. Okay. How yeah. about what's what's the weirdest paper you've had come in, or the the one that like surprised you the most? The submission uh, that you're like, oh, they're studying that. I'm trying to think. Um, What's well, interesting because I mean we get a, we're getting a lot of papers from other countries. Um, okay. And that's good, although many of them are not research papers. Um, and oh, so what I think are they? they're they're sort of polemics. Um, okay. You know, people sort of just talking about the way things are, and they're not based mm-hmm. on any kind of empirical data. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can't, you know. I mean, I don't even send those out for review. Those are just, mm-hmm. we can't publish that. But right. I mean, it's interesting. We do get papers. We're getting a lot of papers from Iran and, okay. uh, you know, uh, about the family. And and so, again, they're, you know, I mean, it's interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of sort of musings and not very good data. And if they mm-hmm. do have data, it's not very good. But, um, um, you know, so things on people's views of sex and, mm-hmm. um you know, stuff that you would think would sort of be taboo. Um, I think I had another paper, a U.S. paper, on the effects of oral sex on marital quality. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's interesting, yeah. Yeah, pretty good. I would think that would have been studied before, but I guess... uh, Yeah, you know, I can't can't remember the details, but um, yeah, I don't think there were any big surprises. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, oddly enough... um, this podcast, which does not have that many listeners, but uh, I get the data from it and I can see like the geographic area and there have been like three or six downloads from Iran, actually. Interesting. So who knows, maybe someone's listening and they're, maybe they're maybe a sociologist so. in Iran and we can... We'll do some research with, uh, you know, with some nationally representative data and then let me know. Yeah, it may be hard getting a hold of nationally representative I'm data sure. in Iran. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, that might be actually. Yeah. Well, who knows? I don't know. Thanks so much. Thank you. Tell Jen hi, and I uh, will stay in touch on on Facebook and say hi to Mark. I and, will. Uh, I'll say hi to Jen for you. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye bye. Someone else's memories by Revolution Void and Calm the Fuck Down by Broke for Free are used under a Creative Commons attribution license.